Straight to you from Denver, Colorado, this is Precursor the Startup Journey. We share the ins and outs of building a tech startup from inception to launch to revenue and beyond. If you've ever wondered what building a startup from scratch really looks like, you're in the right place. With full transparency and honesty, we reveal it all about Precursa on our ride from idea to exit, the wins, the lessons learned, and the unexpected twists and turns. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Precursa, the startup journey. We are continuing our entrepreneur experience segment today, and I am super excited. Today, we're joined by Melinda Whitstock, who's a five-time serial entrepreneur in media and tech, and she's currently the CEO and founder of Padopolo, which is an interactive podcast app that makes listening social and podcasting profitable for creators. In addition to building solutions for creators, Melinda's a creator in her own Right, as host of the fast-growing podcast, Wings of Inspired Business, named by Entrepreneur Magazine as number eight of 20 of the top business podcasts for 2020. She's joining us today to share her entrepreneurial superpowers. Welcome to the show, Melinda. Hey, Cynthia. It's so good to be with you. <laughs> so good to be with you, too. And just, just a note for our audience, go check out Wings of Inspired Business because I was a guest on it like two years ago, I think now, Melinda. Um, oh, God, has it been two years already? I think it has been almost two years. Wow. And the podcast is phenomenal. The Just all the content that you cover is so phenomenal. And, you know, I, we were talking before we got on the show here that a lot of my audience are people who would love to be entrepreneurs but it's so intimidating. And one of the things I love about Wings of Inspired Business is how you demystify a lot of stuff, you know, and that's sort of our goal here on the startup journey as well. So I'm so excited to have you today. Uh, yeah, <laughs> me too. You know, it's really funny with Wings because I, I really created the podcast that I wish I had had yes. <laughs> earlier Same. on in my journey. You know, Same. when I was looking for role models from other female entrepreneurs in tech and there, there weren't honestly very many. That's right. And, and there was no one really talking fully transparently at that time when I, I guess yes. I launched my podcast back in 2017. It seems like yep. such a long time ago now, but there was no one really talking transparently or affirming or acclaiming the journeys in particular of female entrepreneurs. Yes. I really wanted to change that game. Yes. And you're doing it beautifully. I love your podcast. So yay. Oh, thank you. Well, you were a great guest. I loved having you on. It was oh, well, wonderful. I, that so was many... the first time that you and I had connected and it just there was so much juiciness in the conversation. I just felt so heard and so gotten. It was it was an awesome experience. <sighs> Well, thank you. You're making me feel all warm and glowy. <laughs> so thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for everything that you do for, for this audience as well. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you became an entrepreneur and, you know, what you're currently working on, which, you know, we know is Podopolo. So tell us a little more about all that. Oh, fantastic. Well, I was one of those kids, like, I don't even think I knew the word entrepreneur, but <laughs> there was something in my DNA that made me go out when I was almost six with my black lab, uh, going door to door, demanding prepayment <laughs> for this for this show I was creating. And, uh, you know, the show was, you know, I was really into kind of dancing and figure skating and like doing gymnastic things or whatever. And I'd like put together this show. And I, I just had this 
assumption that, of course, everybody is going to want to watch this. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious looking back. And I, I really don't know what the impetus was that, that made me go do this. I just remember coming home with like a $100 and saying to my dad, you know, where can we get a 100 chairs? And he's like, what? <laughs> um, so, so there was something just within me, I guess, uh, you know, that was inherently entrepreneurial. And I think at the root of entrepreneurialness is being a creator, you know, mm, wanting to yeah. just create something. You can't help it. You just want to create something. You want to share with other people. You want to create value for other people. I think the other thing, though, is really seeing a problem. That, yeah. that you just are frustrated by in your own life and, and you have a solution to it and you look around and you see nobody's doing it and you think there's something, I don't know, that beats in the heart of an <laughs> entrepreneur that says, okay, I guess it's me, you know, yeah. I, I guess I'm going to go and, and do that. So as I grew up, you know, I had all kinds of entrepreneurial things that I did. And, um, but along the way, I became a journalist. I mean, you know, in my early career in my 20s, I was a print journalist covering business and then later media for the Times yep. of London, and then moving on to being a television news anchor. And I found myself being really entrepreneurial within those things like creating new shows or like new initiatives, and just even in my student newspaper, creating the ad department, you know, so it's, it's always been, you know, uh, really a part of me. And I didn't go to any kind of business school. I didn't have any kind of official entrepreneurial training. I'm the sort of entrepreneur that just learned by doing it, like yeah. kind of the school of hard knocks. And I, yeah. I, I honestly think that's the best way because everybody's entrepreneurial path yes. is different. There's no cookie cutter path. You are building the plane as you're flying it and, yep. <laughs> and you're learning as you go. However, what's amazing right now, Cynthia, as you know is there's so many more resources for entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah. There's so many mentors and so many places where you can just go and communities where you can just go and ask a question so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So there's that's a lot more exactly support right. than there yeah. used to be, certainly when yeah. I was getting going. Yeah, that's awesome. And you are part of that that movement as well. I mean, you know, I know you've been in this in this game for quite a while and I have as well. And thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. You know, we both saw that as kind of like a, well, there's a big hole here, right? Let's, how can we start plugging that hole with our unique skills? And so your background is actually in media and journalism. How how did you come up with Podopolo? Like, what was your thinking? There? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it actually, what's fascinating about it is that I'm old enough now to look back in my life and connect the dots. Yeah. And so <laughs> all of that media expertise as a media executive, as a media host, you know, creating shows, creating content, combined with all the business businesses that I've done have really been in media and increasingly in technology, media tech, whether it's advertising tech or algorithmic understanding of people by what they share in their social media conversations to help people yeah. find customers yeah. or 
or crowdsource content or all these sorts of things. And then combine that with becoming a podcaster myself. And Podopola really combines everything that I've proven in my previous businesses, as well as directly my experience as a podcaster, understanding how difficult it is as a, as a, as particularly a new podcaster mm. to grow awareness about your podcast, yeah. like grow your reach and discoverability, engage your audience, you know, engage your yeah. audience, actually know who your audience is um, <laughs> and monetize uh, your yes. content at a time when 85% of podcasters don't make any money from their podcast, which is yeah. crazy because yeah. it's the fastest growing media of all time. So, so Podopolo really combines a number of things to really elevate the experience for listeners and viewers with a, you know, uh, like an interactive social experience, but one that's also personalized that mm. aids people in discovering like the right podcast for them and their mm. friends and Love really that. taking, yeah, and taking the learning that you, you have from a podcast such as this and allowing people the opportunity to interact in community to really put the learning learning from that podcast into action in their lives, or maybe just have a good gossip about, you know, the true crime podcast, like what, what's going to happen <laughs> yeah, next exactly. or, or whatever. It could be, you know, in whatever, in whatever genre. And then for podcasters to be able to really engage and know their audiences and to basically benefit from all the different opportunities through subscriptions, through advertising, and, and pretty soon through NFTs and other things to really be able to monetize their content and then also giving a better experience for advertisers as well. So it looks at solving the problem for all three of those uh, primary groups in the podcast landscape, the, the listener, the podcaster, creator, and the advertiser. And awesome. uh, really in terms of solving the, the structural problems that I encountered as a podcaster myself and, and through our research before we launched Podopolo, really, really getting deep into understanding the needs of all those three customer sets. I love that. That's awesome. So would you say that it's a sort of a prepped question, right? But listening to and understanding the needs of the end user, how important is that when you're building tech? A hundred percent. And it's where most people go wrong, honestly, yeah. right? Because they have they have an idea in their mind, which is wonderful, and they they're going to create this amazing product. And in all the mentoring I've done over the years, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs say things like, oh, this is for everybody. Like yes. everybody is going to want this. And oh my God, whenever I hear that now, I'm like, no, 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 right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the power no. of niching down, but it's super scary, especially to a new entrepreneur, right? Because you're like, well, wait a second. I, you know, niching down, that's a smaller market. And it's like, yeah, but if, if uh, you know, the thing I always say is if your marketing doesn't speak to someone, it doesn't speak to anyone, you know? Absolutely true. So I think the trickiest thing is, and I think why it gets scary is kind of like which niche, you know, because we're relevant oh. to all. So which is the yes. one to go for first? Because you yes. you have all these psychological FOMO kind of things, like what if we pick <laughs> the wrong one or whatever. But uh, but but entrepreneurship just requires a nimbleness and the ability to pivot. Like it's really like being, if you think of a moment about being a scientist in the lab. You have a whole bunch of hypotheses and you're testing it, testing it, testing it, testing it, testing it until Eureka, you get it right. Yeah. And entrepreneurship is really no different. So you're yeah. testing 
what's known as product market fit. Yep. You know, and so it's really important not to spend a huge amount of money or not to like double down on something in a big way <laughs> until you really know that someone's willing to pay you something for what you built. Yeah. And then you can always make it more sophisticated. I like to tell people, think about the very first cell phone you had and the power of just being able to talk to somebody not attached to a landline or whatever, right? Was it the iPhone? No. no. Yeah. <laughs> think, think of the difference between iPhone 1 and iPhone yep. 13. Yep. So there are still bugs uh, that are being fixed at all times. There are still nuances. There are still things being added. Your, your work is kind of never done. So if you come mm -hmm. to it with this idea that you have to have it perfect right out of the gate, you kind of lose before you even had a chance to win because there's no way it ever will be. So yeah. I think a lot of women in particular, we yep. hold ourselves to such high standards. We think it has to be absolutely perfect. Yep. And that's the thing that makes people intimidated. Yeah. And, and that's the thing you just have to get over it's it's not going to be perfect and nor should it and it's it's if, if anything it's great to be co-creating with your customers involving yes. them and getting their feedback and overcoming any kind of fear of failure it's not failure it's feedback yeah, it's fee it's feedback and iteration. I love that. I love that parallel you draw to scientific method, right? And it's interesting because this is a point in time, thanks to you know COVID and all the 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 way that science has played out, the scientific process has played out real time in the media over the last two years in a way that we've probably never seen before. I mean, mostly scientists are doing this in labs and they're, you know, taking years and decades to to really come up with something that they feel like they can put out there. And and so it's 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 an interesting parallel because I think we all understand as much as we want to believe that science is science and it's concrete, it's changing all the time. The stuff that we're learning is changing all the time. And so taking that and realizing that it's the same for us as entrepreneurs, it's the same for your company or your product that you're building. I just love that. I, that's a great analogy. I love that analogy. Mm. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it, it just seems, I mean, I mean, the other thing that we are too, and I guess still in the sort of scientific realm is we're kind of alchemists. Yeah. We're taking kind of coal and turning it into diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, over over time. Yeah. And it's a process. But yeah. you know what I've learned along the way is just this this thing about having to overcome perfectionism. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that's been a part of my struggle as well. And I think for a lot of women, yeah. because we're his in historical terms, we're really new to this. Yeah. It's a world that's been shaped primarily by men and the way yep. men talk is different from women and how we what yep. motivates us to be entrepreneurs. So we try and fit ourselves into these paradigms that don't necessarily like they're they're just a little bit different or a little bit alien and and we come at it with this thing that we think it's really important to prove our competence at all time and how yeah. good we are. So we so focus so much on that. It leads to a perfectionism and kind of like a, a heads down, like I'm going to just be isolated and work really hard by myself to get this thing done. Yeah. And we deny the thing that's innate to women is our empathy, our relationship capital, all those things, which are actually the things that run business. Yeah. And I, I think they're starting to become an awareness. I think this is somewhat what's coming out of the movement of diversity and inclusion and like that focus that we see on this right now, also sort of spurred by the pandemic and other political things. But there's this sort of realization that I'm seeing happening where it's like, 
oh, thank, it, it is different and it's not all about the bottom line. And in fact, I mean, Jim Collins wrote about it in good to great years ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, almost two decades ago, three decades ago, maybe, where people are really the thing that makes a thing happen. I mean, and even in even in a time of, you know, robotics and and replacing, I'm going to put unskilled labor in quotes with with robots who are more efficient and who don't need to take breaks and all that kind of stuff. We're we're still realizing it still comes down to people and their ingenuity and their creativity and that is what women are amazing at. Mm. But we don't value that only because we don't see that valued in the world, right? And so it's not being called for in the world because to your point, it's been structured in a very different way that's not about us. So we have to kind of like redefine the structures. <laughs> oh, it's it's so true. And, you know, funnily enough, I just had this great woman on my podcast just, uh, you know, the other day talking about this balance between the masculine and the feminine energies or archetypes yeah, and how women show up in entrepreneurship really does need to be redefined around us, like around our needs. But it's tricky though, because you still have to speak the language. If you have the type of business like I do, where you have to go out and raise venture capital and that is still very much a masculine archetype where where you, you have to find a way to speak that language, even if your leadership style is different. So you're always walking that line. So what do you take from the masculine? What do you take from the feminine? But really learning, I think the biggest issue for women entrepreneurs deep down on a a subconscious level is learning to actually value ourselves. And and that is just, it's so profound. It's, It's a really big thing because at the root of all the things that I see women entrepreneurs doing, like underpricing, yes. over-delivering, yes. being a great advocate for their product, but forgetting to ask for the sale, yep. or just all these sorts of things. It's all to do with, or perfectionism. Yep. It's all to do with a sense that, yeah, we're not valuing ourselves. And so it's very difficult yeah. to go sell a product or build a business if deep down, like just somewhere lurking within us, we have this subconscious block around value. And so, yeah. I, I, I mean, 670-odd episodes now into Wings, <laughs> this is a theme that yeah. with female founders in particular that comes up over and over and over and over again. So well, there's some sort of uh, a wound there, I think, that that is possibly epigenetics, certainly formed by society, certainly formed by looking at, you know, everyone's highlight reels on, on Instagram or whatever it is where there's kind of like, am I good enough? You know? Yes. And how curated everything that's put in, I mean, cause to your point, you know, podcasts are the largest growing media right now, social media in general has taken off in a way that I don't think, I mean, maybe somebody could have predicted it, but I think in ways that we couldn't have predicted, and it's but it's so curated. And so now it's like the quote unquote everyday person, but in such a curated and snapshot sort of way that me living in my head and my body and seeing all 24 hours and what I do with them and the decisions I make and when I look good and when I don't, blah, 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 blah. You're comparing a snapshot in time to your whole life. And it's so unrealistic. And 
I kind of want to dive into the fundraising thing a little bit because we do see such an inequity. You know, women founders in tech make up about 28 to 32 percent. It seems to vary depending on the source, but of the founder market in general. And yet we only get about two and a half percent of the of the money as most recently as 2020. Right. So, yeah, that number hasn't changed in two no, decades at all. I mean, it doesn't matter that that women are, are building businesses and particularly in tech. It's like, you know, I, I see this trend where if you're a woman who's building, you know, a business selling custom made jewelry or something you've created or whatever, like there's a lot out there to support that. And that's great. There should be. But for women in tech, as you and I both are, the challenge is I can put it like this. So we've been we've been in a fundraising mode for about eight months. And I have another friend of mine who is also building a, a technology company that has an AI component to it. And the questions that he gets asked are never, does the tech actually work? Ooh. The only question we get asked is, does the tech work? And it's just oh, this like really, and I'm like, and we're not even going as far as he is in terms of like sci-fi-ness, right? And so it's it's very interesting. And I just wonder like, what has been your experience with that process? And what would be your advice to anyone who's listening, particularly women, but anyone who's listening, how do you navigate this? Oh, gosh. Well, this is this is really close to my heart because raising money for Podopolo, you know, has not been easy. You know, I'm like touching wood as we're about to close around. Like oh. it's like so close. I'm just like, ah, I can ah. taste it. You know what I mean? And and but but it's very difficult. So I find what happens is women are more likely to be asked questions that put them on the defensive. And there was actually a study, I forget whether it was MIT or Harvard did the study where they, they sat in on thousands of, you know, pitch meetings of men and women and men on average were asked things like, that's great. How are you going to maximize growth? You know, and the women were like, how are you going to, you know, the customers you have, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was all that. So I've learned over the years to, to whatever question I'm being asked is to turn it around. Yep. But deep, like psychologically going into those meetings, if you have a mindset that you're asking for a favor Mm. or that the VC is, oh my goodness, they're going to bestow on you and like you're going to be this grateful recipient. Yes. Um, And like you're in effect showing up with a begging bowl, you're, you're done before you've even started because it's not a conversation that's on a level or equivalent footing. And psychologically, you have to get it there. So that goes back to what I was talking about before about valuing ourselves. Mm. So this is the biggest single lesson I've learned, you know, having raised capital for, you know, all my businesses to varying degrees of success. Um, (laughs) uh, This is one of the things that I've learned along the way. So when you actually understand your value, and you've created something, and you can really speak to the numbers of what it will actually mean, and what it will actually translate, you are actually the person, all your hard work, all your ingenuity, all your creativity, everything that you go to your heart and soul in building a product, getting product market fit, marketing that product, getting people to pay you for it, all that, that's really hard to do. 
And yeah. the fact that you've done that and you can paint a picture for an investor of if they put a million dollars in or if they put $10 million, that that's going to 10x and you and you can show them, you're doing them a favor. They're not doing any work. There's, they're, they're, really, there's, a, there's an exchange. All of the money is is an exchange of value. So yeah. you got to get all that stuff straight in your head. So like, I think it's a psychological thing as much as anything, but there are real things that we do have to overcome in that sense. So I find it interesting too, because the valuations uh, that yeah. a lot of uh, companies get that are, you know, have an all male executive team tend to be yep. higher. Yep. And again, that goes back to, you know, the value. So we've had a lot of that. We've actually rejected investors for just lowballing our valuation where it's like, yeah. look, dude, if you want to value us at like, I don't know, something like $10 million or $8 million or something like that, when our revenue, our net revenue just is more. on target to be like a half a million dollars a month. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, no. Yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're going to get, you're going to get like, and you have to speak the numbers, you know yeah. what? So you're asking me for a 200 X return. I no, uh, you yeah. Know, so the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice okay. try, sir. <laughs> right. So, but you, so, and this is the thing is you have to really, this is what I say to women all the time. You got to know your numbers. Yeah. You got to know your numbers because that's how they're speaking. The other thing that's really important to realize is that, that I think we put, and this is not a masculine feminine thing. I think we put a lot of faith in the intelligence or the uh, knowledge of the venture community yes. that isn't necessarily there. Like they don't, they don't know as well as you. So like <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> I always say, why are we going to these, this group of people who have a 90% failure rate at picking good stuff and then being disappointed when they turn us down? <laughs> Well, exactly. Like they, they don't really necessarily have the means to evaluate. So you've got to assist them. You've got to be able to tell a really good story. Like I think raising money is like marketing. You got to tell a really good story. You've got to have a really good, figure out a way to have a really personal connection yeah. with the person that you're raising money from. Um, yeah. uh, know your numbers, <laughs> really be able to speak to what's in it for them. Yeah. And I remember going to a, a sort of a seminar for founders once where where the roles were changed and we were evaluating other companies and what would make us write the check. And I remember the instructor or the, the guy leading the seminar saying, okay, so you know, here are all these five startups and, and uh, just describe how you're feeling about writing that check for a million dollars. Like, how does that feel? Yeah. And I remember I had a real insight from that. It's like scary to write a yeah. check for that much money, you know? So you've got to use your empathy to get in the mindset of the investor. Cause yeah. right. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Maybe you can expand a little bit. We hear this a lot, like know your numbers. And I wonder what does that mean? If somebody, if somebody was like, well, I hear that all the time, but what does that mean? Like what numbers really matter? And 
and how, you know what does that mean can you, can you explain yeah that a so bit? they're so they're different in different businesses right mm, yeah you know so depending on and this gets into what's going to grow the value of your business or the oh, valuation yes, yes. okay and so they're so so some of them are really obvious like revenue of course yep, you're making yep. money <laughs> uh, what's what's more important is is the money that you're making profitable you see all these mm. people on facebook i had a million dollar launch but what they don't tell you is it costs nine hundred and ninety nine thousand dollars <laughs> Right? to get there yeah million <laughs> launch, right so they don't really have a business because you know they have they have revenue so like revenue is great top line revenue is great but like you know how you know profitable is it how what's your cost of user acquisition like to like what's the cost of acquiring a customer yeah. Well, how does that break down? How, what's your retention rate? Like, so say mm-hmm. you get a whole bunch of customers, are they repeat customers? Do you have uh, recurring revenue yep. that you know that you can count on? And then in the case of a, a social app, say like Podopolo, things like time spent on the app matters to mm, us. Things engagement. like, yeah, things like weekly active and daily active use retention matters to us. So like we yeah. were over the moon this week, we have a 92% retention rate so when people Woo-hoo! come into the app you know which is like a great number we That's have awesome. um, we have a i think our daily active number now is 42 percent, which is mind-boggling wow um, it's really huge so it means that people who are in the product people who are on Podopolo love it okay yeah so yay so we prove that the you know the product's good and we continue to enhance it all the time we have this really aggressive roadmap for like it's our, our it's not nearly complete in my mind yeah. right <laughs> okay it never okay, is not nearly not nearly complete but you know we have four and a half million podcasts you know all this ai mm. all this recommendation engine all the sort of you know matchmaking listeners to podcasts and each other and all that stuff going on there like there's a lot happening in this app but anyway so we have these good numbers, but we're raising money so we can spend money on marketing. All our marketing has been organic. Yeah. And right. And now we've got to go seize market. And that's one of the reasons we need capital. So when we're talking to an investor, we have to say, okay, this is the use of proceeds of that, of that money. We anticipate that we're going to do this and we expect this return. Here's the range. Here's what we'll do if we're not hitting that range. You know, that's kind of like what knowing your numbers are, right? So you're projecting out in the future that you know what the levers are of how you're going to measure success. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Right. And you're on top of things. Like if you're looking at, if you're not looking at your numbers, just say your week to week performance or how you're doing or whatever, you don't really know where you are. So you don't have early enough warning to pivot or Mm. you can get into trouble really quickly if you're not really watching either your spend or figuring out, oh, if we did this differently, could we reduce the, the cost to acquire users, customers or whatever, or could we yeah. save money on this or whatever? Yeah. The other thing too, I think is really important for hiring and growing a team. I think a lot of people hire their team members to do something and uh. that's great, but actually you should be hiring people to return a result. Um, oh. What is the result that you want from your hiring your I don't know, your social media person. So, okay, great. So they're going to do your social media. They're going to yep. do it. So what what's the result of that? Like what yeah. numbers, how are they kind of accountable? How is that going to grow your business? And and this is where thinking of hiring people is much more of an investment than an expense. Interesting. Okay, I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. 
you know, so super, super important. Yeah. So I, I, I'm curious what you think about this. So there, there's a statistic out there, 42% of startups ultimately fail because no one wants what they're building. I wonder what you you think about that and what, you know, what, what, what does that make you think of? Well, what that makes me think of is a couple things, right? That, that, you know, people have an idea and they, they fall in love with their own idea and which is necessary for an entrepreneur to be in love with their own idea. Like there's no way you can succeed without being in love with your own idea. It's just, you have to validate it. Like before you build it, you got to figure out like, you know, you know, talk to people like, would you buy this? What would make you buy it? you know, that kind of thing. I see a lot of companies, particularly on the tech side, building features and calling it a company. And, And they're not, it's not a company. It's not a company that can grow or sustain or building things without understanding the, the, the context of the competitive market they're in. Yeah. And understanding why they're better than someone else or why yeah. someone would change their behavior. In the case of Podopolo, it's okay. Why is someone going to switch from Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or iHeart or any of these millions of other podcast yeah. apps to Podopolo? How differentiated is it? How much better can we make it? Like, how can we really solve problems so people will switch their behavior? Yes. It's a lot to ask someone to do that. Yeah. And right. why do you think it, why do you, cause I see the same thing that you do. It seems like more often in tech than really any other, you know, you don't see people with restaurants not doing the research and figuring out whether people in the area are going to eat there. Right. Uh, why do we do this? Is it because it's, um, you know, I guess I'm well, it, quotes, it, you know, so it's, it's easy sort of to build tech, right? Yeah. Engineers build things like, like the joy is in the building. You know what mm. I mean? So <laughs> and so, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's just kind of like you do what you like to do, right? So you guys can build something. This is really cool. Like, and you have this pride in what you built, you know. So yeah. it's a lot of it's a lot of it's that. I, I you know, I think for really, really great uh, tech companies, the ones that really stand out have a non-siloed approach between the, you know, the product and the underlying tech and the marketing and sales. That the team even though the type of person who's a salesperson or a marketing person, as opposed to the type of personality or whatever, who's, you know, building your algorithms or whatever are are like wildly different. Everybody in the, in the team has to be going in the same direction and have to understand how these things fit together. So for instance, as we're looking at our product roadmap and really refining that for this year and what's in the first quarter, what's in the second quarter, we're looking at every single thing in terms of, okay, that feature is great. Yeah, that would be fun to build. And wouldn't that be great to have that feature? But how does it tie specifically into any of our core metrics? Yes. How does it advance us to more revenue? How does it advance us to, um, you know, more users or users inviting other users or yeah. you know, like, yeah. like what, whatever yeah. metric, you know, and, and so everybody's going to, uh, think in that non-siloed cross-disciplinary way. And when you put that discipline on it, it's gonna the the result is going to be different because people are going to come up with all kinds of ideas like on our team we have we have a whole long list of things on a product roadmap but which ones wait or which ones yeah. do we decide not to do yep you know because just yep. doing it to do it and so I, yep. I think that's what that's what happens so you get really excited about it. like hey wouldn't it be really cool to 
you know, mint every podcast that we have on Podopolo. (laughs) Well, yeah, that would be really cool. So, okay, great. So how does that uh, help the podcaster? Like, is there anything in it for the podcaster that would they come over to us because we're minting their podcast? You know, it's cool. So like open question, right? I don't know the answer to that one yet. Yeah. Right. For example. Yeah. I love that. I love that. What, what, you're you're touching on something that I feel like you have a unique insight on, which is what is the role of a CEO really? Particularly, you know, you're, you when you first start out, it's just you and you're the founder and you're sort of making this thing happen. And then how does that role kind of shift as you start yeah. to build a company and you have teams and you have your first employee and then 10 employees and you're yeah, really starting to build? like. I love this question because you're really a different person at different stages. I mean, you're still you, obviously, but you, you, your role <laughs> does change significantly. So last year in 2021, we went from basically two of us yeah. to 22 of us. Wow. Um, no and kidding. In the, course, in the course of about two and a half months. That is amazing growth. How do you handle that? Um, well, um, it's, I've learned a lot over the years in terms of the type of leader and leadership skills. Um, and a lot of it is in the elegance of hiring the right people. I mentioned before, making sure you're hiring the, the right people at the right time that are going to drive the results that you need at that particular time in the company. Yeah. And so it's not just their skill set, skill set, but their cultural fit and mission alignment and all of those things. So I put, a, I think, a really massive part of the CEO's role is hiring and team building, creating a really good team and a really good culture. So that is everything from setting the vision and mission of the company and being very clear, um, almost to the point of constant repetition. Like if you feel yourself saying it uh, over and over again and you're boring yourself, you probably still haven't said it often enough. Yeah, it's like it's just starting to get in over there. (laughs) Right, right. So so the way I approach that kind of team side and 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 hiring is I'm not a micromanager. I believe in hiring really great people, setting them up with the resources they need, you know, trusting but verifying. Yep. Right. So yep. like setting goals, having them set their own goals and me, you know, suggest and you know that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, and then, you know, verifying and mentoring them and just creating a culture where people are really happy. So as a result, we could grow that quickly with great people because our team were actually sourcing other people for us to hire. So oh. when you hire A players, they bring in other people like other them. Other A players, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So so the bucket of sort of where we are now as, you know, like a, like really we're past the startup stage now. We're now in the kind of growth stage. We've, you know, I've got product market fit. Like we're now in that kind of, okay, we're going, you know, big for market share, big for revenue, you know, all those sorts of things. Yep. And we have to grow our team like by projected by the end of the year, we'll probably have about 60 people on our team. So, <sighs> so this is now, you know, you know, moving. So for me, it's really important to always have the right people, the cultural fit, make sure people are in the right seats, uh, hire slowly, fire fast. If someone's not a cultural fit, I I believe that you can train someone in just about anything if it's intrinsic to them, but you can't necessarily train character. 
Right. Um, right. right? Um, and so, so that cultural fit is, is, is really, 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 really important. I think yeah. for us, every, every company. So I see that being a huge part of my role. I see the other part is the resourcing. Like I mentioned, making sure that the team has all the resources that, that we need, making sure that we have the team we need. That means that I'm always fundraising. Yes. Yes. And I'm always looking at I mean, you know, it's like a permanent thing. Like we'll close our super seed round sometime in the next few weeks, but like we're already starting work on our follow on round before that's yeah. even closed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's one of the things that you'll hear. And I think it's the thing thing that people wish they heard less, but as the CEO, you're always raising. You know, yes, you're, you are you're always like thinking yes, about and Yes, and you're always about you're always evangelizing. So there's different yes. types of CEOs, yeah. right? And it's it's there was a great book written some time back now called Rocket Fuel, which is mm. really good for anybody to look up because it talks about the difference between the CEO and the COO, Ooh. and and understanding we don't have a COO yet. Okay, um, I've been doing a lot of that work myself, but I can hardly wait until I, you know, we may just start out with a VP operations and then have that person, you know, uh, if they're the right person climb up to the, the, the more officer level. But, but in this case though, this book says, are you a visionary or Mm. are you, and they use the word integrator. The, 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 what they mean by integrator is the person who operationalizes the vision, the executor. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, so at different stages of a company, like you get to the point where you're, you're going to need, if you're a visionary, which is really what I am, that's what I like and all my personality tests and my strength finder and all that, it's all like futurist, you know, visionary, strategic, you know, all that stuff. Right. So it's kind of like, who, who I am and I'm an activator, you know, like I start things like yep. I'm really good at that. Right. Yep. So knowing your strengths, your in, intrinsic strengths, which you can kind of understand, but well, what do you love to do that nobody else can do? That's like unique to you. Yeah. What do you love to do that somebody else can do as well as you or possibly better than you, but you can do really well. And then what can you do that you don't really like doing? And then what do you really suck at? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to, to, because everybody does suck at something like I'm not good at everything. So it really requires a deep honesty with yourself (laughs) and deciding what it is that you need to learn yourself as opposed to what can you delegate because it's not Mm -hmm. intrinsic to you. And you could burn a lot of time, money, waste a lot of time just because you're learning something that someone else is always going to be better than you at. Yes. As a CEO, you do not have to do everything and nor should you. Yeah. Like your job is to really, really delegate. So in my case, I can hardly wait for that, that moment because there's so <laughs> many operational details and like we were talking before about being on top of your numbers and you know yep. all that kind of stuff and really the HR side of things and, and how the business, how the marketing is working with the engineering, you know, so there's no gaps in communication, all that stuff. As you get bigger and you scale, you, you start to need more of a management layer there. And, and then there's a new challenge because how do you re- retain your startup nimbleness as you're getting to this bigger thing. So I like to think of myself as just anticipating every next step. Okay, so I'm here right now. But now that I've mastered, well, I'm already thinking, okay, so where are we going to be? And who am I being six months from now? 
because it's going to be different than what yeah. I'm doing right now. Yeah, because your company's going to be in a different place and you got different challenges and totally. different, different priorities. And yeah. yeah. And so the other part of my role, though, are the real strategic partnerships. So where, say, Podopolo is doing a lot of work with like a, a major TV manufacturer right now and, and with large media companies and some IoT companies and all that kind of stuff. So those yep. sorts of strategic you know, explorations and all, all of that is my kind of bailiwick as it will. But hopefully very soon we can start to hire some, you know, business people and, you know, enablement. Bus- yeah. business development people and like a yep. marketing team and all of that, you know. So, yeah. so I have a lot of hiring now to do on the marketing sales side, which did really well on the, you know, product engineering side. <laughs> and we need to expand that team as well, by the way. Yeah. But like, so if anyone's looking for a job, you know, we're hiring so you know what i mean so uh yeah and we're always kind of like it's kind of like always hiring always fundraising always really got your eye on the ball in terms of what's next yeah and haunted always at all times by what do i not know that i don't know oh yeah yeah it's a great question to ask (laughs) that's the entrepreneurial paranoia yes yes it's a great question what do you think you know, if you had to sort of sum up what what is the most important personality trait or characteristic or that something that someone needs to have to be a successful entrepreneur? Mm. Oh, okay. Not in any particular order, but curi- <laughs> curiosity. Oh, I love that. Absolutely vital. You really need to understand people. And be curious about them, whether it's your team, investors, your customers, you know, like I mean, <laughs> business is about people yes, at the end of the is. day, right? The curiosity and the empathy and listening ability to really understand other people, I think is pretty crucial. At least if if not in the founder, like having those skills high up your team, like a, a co-founder or somebody, yeah. you know, like, that has to be in that mix in the yeah. founding team, whether it's yeah. a co- an individual founder or a group of co-founders, but yes. someone's got to really have that. I think um, the other thing though, too, is just resilience. Yes. The ability to not take it personally just because you try something and it doesn't work. Yeah. All those things, like if something's not working, it's like, oh, okay, it's not working. Well, let's try it this way. Oh, yeah. that's not working. Well, let's try it this way. If you go back to <laughs> Thomas Edison, you know, like what I, what is it? Like the 10,000 10, ways not to make a light bulb. <laughs> right. 10,000 times. Like, so if that was good enough for Thomas Edison, it's good for anybody else. Yeah. So like, because nobody's just going to, you know, so I think we have unrealistic expectations. So it's kind of like getting out of our own way and, and, and allowing ourselves to fail and not taking it personally when we do, because failure is at the root of innovation and critical to that kind of resilience. But the curiosity is also about, you know, how to make the product better, how to yep. curiosity about your competitors, about your market, about, you know, yep. right? like, <laughs> you know curiosity all about things. all the things. <laughs> right. And the willingness. Okay. And I'd say the third thing, and, and, and this is really important, not having to be the smartest person in the room. In fact, as a CEO, uh, trying to be the dumbest person in the room because you are actually set out to be the dumbest person in the room. It means that you're surrounding yourself with people that you're going to always be learning from. 
Ooh, I love that. So like leave your ego at the door. There's no place for ego or vanity or any of that stuff in this business if you want to succeed. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs that have that in spades, you know, we look at entrepreneurs and think, but actually I think really the best ones aren't at, aren't in it for ego or personal aggrandizement. Like it's okay to want to make money. I think that's great. Go make a lot of money. Money's great. It's not that, it, but the, the ones, you know, if you have a mission, if you have a real reason, like a real dream or a reason, or like you just really care, you're going to solve a problem or you're going to make a difference or make a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs said, or you're going to, yeah. <laughs> that's vital as well, because there are going to be really shitty times. Yeah. Like for anybody, everybody, yeah, there have been right. for me in every business. And there've been like amazing times, like where like even hour by hour, yeah. You can go from heights to depths to like, oh my yep. God, am I going to make payroll? Like, just like you're responsible yep. for other people. Yeah. Like, there's going to be shit that happens that you don't predict, that you can't control. And like, <laughs> all you can do is control your reaction to it. So, having that dream or the the mission or the thing that keeps you going, keeps you passionate about it, keeps you on course, even as you're pivoting and yep. trying to deal with stuff you can't control or whatever, <laughs> I think it's just vital for your psychological health. Yeah. Because this I, is not easy, you know? No, it's not and, easy. And there's, there's days, like you're saying, where I feel like I'm bipolar or something because I'm like, I wake <laughs> up in the morning and I'm so energized and then something happens. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't see this coming. And so now I'm scrambling and then and then I'm like downed by it and then we sort it out and then it's like by the end of the day we're back up to a high and I'm like what just happened today what just happened every day like every day is like that you know what I mean and then and then after a while though it begins to moderate because you start to anticipate it's like oh yeah I remember when this happened to me before and and you and you got through it before so you're yeah. like, okay, so you're developing kind of a confidence in yourself and your team that you know that whatever's going to happen, you're, you're going to find a way. And, and that starts to uh, level off those peaks and, and troughs a little bit, right? Yeah. It starts to kind of moderate. If you think of a sound wave, it starts to get just yep. a little more shallow yep. and, and, and whatnot, right? But, <laughs> but this so- is why I joke all the time that if you want therapy, uh, just be an entrepreneur. Because, <laughs> you'll get it every day. Because you'll get Get it because it's what's going to happen is all the challenges is going to throw all your subconscious stuff at you. Mm-hmm. It's gonna it's gonna surface. Yeah, it's being an your, entrepreneur your, is the absolute best mirror for learning who you are. <laughs> Right. So it's going to surface stuff about like old money stories or what you believe of other people or like trust issues, abandonment issues, whatever issues you may have. And we all have them. It's going to surface all that stuff. Right. And which is great because if it's on the surface, you can deal with it. But if it's buried deep below, like as a subconscious iceberg, you're never going to be able to really. (laughs) So so yes, my, this is my thing, you know, like there should, someone should make the t-shirt. Want therapy? Be an entrepreneur. Yeah. There you go. Oh my gosh. I love that. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. As we wrap up here, I just wondered are there any other? I mean, obviously, you run a podcasting company. We've talked about Wings of Inspired Business. There's a couple of other resources you've mentioned that I'll put in the show notes. But are there any specific podcasts or books or resources that you'd recommend knowing my audience of Mm. entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs? Yeah, one of the books that I found really helpful was Gay Hendricks' The Big Leap. Yes, I love that book. 
it's so good because it talks about our upper limits. And I think sometimes entrepreneurs sort of like can, well, just people in any walk of life actually can end up self-sabotaging without knowing it, right? So that's a great book to read. I also think, you know, on your, this is an old book. It's been around for a long time, but The E-Myth Revisited is vital Mm -hmm. reading if you haven't read that yet. Yep. And it's it's really about being in alignment, you know. Also, any of the Jim Collins books, you know, yes. Good to Great, Built to Last. I don't know. All those books are are sort of required reading for an entrepreneur. I also think things like, I mean, I'm very spiritual. I yeah. my entrepreneurial journey has made me more and more and more spiritual. Yes. So it's not really a joke about the therapy piece, you know, there for yeah. me. But uh, there's some great books like The Surrender Experiment. And and other things where it really helps you grow personally in a way that you can really be that great leader. Yeah. It's not just about learning about business, it's about personal growth. Yeah. So I would suggest, you know, those sorts of things. And like if you don't already take up meditation or something like that yes. where you can really kind of clear your head and really be more in the realm of inspiration rather than doing. Yeah being in flow, right? It's easy to uh-huh. get stuck. It's easy to get stuck in busy work and the to-do list. I do this to myself all the time and then I look up at the end of the day and I'm like, you haven't been mindful. You haven't taken time for awareness. Like, are you even doing the right things? And how do you know that if you're not doing that, right? Oh God, Cynthia. So if you have time, there's this one quick story. I'll be yeah, really quick. Please. But, but I had one day, I, so I do this morning meditation and I set my to-do list as it were around my inspiration list. Like what comes yeah. to me in the morning about what activities could I do today that would have the most leverage? Like say, if I did one thing, would it have a multiplicity of impacts? Yeah. And I think, about my my time that way, how to leverage my time best, right? I so I had that. this morning and, and, and I got like kind of like five downloads of things and I wrote them down in order. And for whatever reason, I was working on priorities two, three, four, and five and not working. <laughs> and, and I wasn't getting anywhere with two, three, four, and five. Like they just weren't advancing. I was like like frustrated, like nothing was working. Like, you know, just like even to the point you know, not getting a call returned or a response that I needed or like whatever it was, right? There were all these blocks. And then I was like, oh my God, lunch came around. I was frustrated. I'm like, oh, yeah, priority number one, I haven't even touched that. And it's priority number one. How interesting. So I started work on priority number one. And I swear to God, two, three, four, and five just resolved themselves without any effort of my own. Wow. No kidding. And sometimes stuff happens through no effort of yeah. our own. Yeah. Like, you know, why is it so hard for us to accept that too, right? Like, why is it so hard? We hear this all the time. Why is it so hard to put down the thing? Is it about control? Like, yeah, maybe it's control or ego or I don't know. There's some I I suspect and because I, I this is something I've worked on a lot of my life. There's some sort of story that it has to be hard to be valuable yes. or you, you have to have worked hard because how many times have it been drilled into us that like people are rewarded who work hard. Yes. And so so if you believe that, and like really believe that in your core, you think that nothing's going to happen that's good unless you work hard. So then you work hard because you, you just your yeah. your mindset won't even allow you to yeah. see it in any other way. So you block other ways for things to manifest. Yeah, which I mean, is why, I, which is why I, the the meditation or the prayer practice or whatever whatever you know you do can be so powerful because it it can 
release the blocks and and help you move in a way that you just can't see in our like everyday how the world works, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So true. So true. But that's one that I've wrestled with because for the longest time, it's like, oh, it had to be hard or taking pride in building something on fumes. Or wait a minute. Like, do you look at Oprah and say, God, look at how great, you know, or Steve Jobs because she built it on fumes. No, like you're not yeah. thinking about it, right? Yeah. And so I, I understood within myself that I was actually my own block to money in a way because mm. I was taking some weird pride in all the hard work and being able to do it with nothing, you know. I think a yeah. lot of women do that too. Look at me. Yeah. I've done so much with nothing. With so no, little, that's yeah. Not something to be proud of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but oh we are, gosh. you know, it's weird, right? So, oh, so it's like, man. it's what are those underlying attitudes that you may not even know that you have, but you probably do, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love talking to you. This conversation has been so amazing. And I, I, you know, when I reached out, I was a little nervous. I was like, maybe she won't have time. And you were like, yeah, of course. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so Yeah, excited. but then I had to reschedule, <laughs> had to reschedule a couple times. So I'm sorry it's about that. Fine. Just... No, it's fine. It's the holidays. What are you going to do? I mean, stuff happens. It's all good. It was a perfect timing. And I have so enjoyed this conversation. I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your story. If there are people who have questions for you or they'd love to get in touch with you, what is the best way for people to reach out oh, or follow or whatever? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, so the thing that I would like the most yeah. is go, if you like podcasts like this one, download Podopolo and we'll recommend a whole bunch of podcasts uh, for you based on what you're interested in. You can follow Wings there. We've got 4.5 million podcasts and they're all like personalized for you and you can connect with friends. Uh, you can definitely like comment on Wings episodes, so, you know. <laughs> That's that's the number one way. But then I'm also on all you know social media, so you can find me on Instagram at Melinda Whitstock 2020 or Podopolo uh, okay. there. Twitter Podopolo Network awesome. or Melinda Wings. And I'm all over Facebook. I'm not using as much these days, but like yeah. uh, you know, you can find me there. And you know, Podopolo you know dot com and and just you know all the ways. I mean, I'm I'm findable LinkedIn all, all the ways. I love it. I love it. I will make sure to include all that in the show notes so it's really easy for people to find you. Thank you again so very much, Melinda. We appreciate your time, your journey, and your your willingness to share your wisdom and your insight. is It's incredible. And I'm very, very grateful that you shared your time and, and your story with my, with my audience today. So thank uh, you. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. It's always great to talk with you, Cynthia, as well. Thank you. Same, same. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining us for this episode. As always, happy entrepreneuring, and I will see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Precursor the Startup Journey. If you have an idea for a startup and you want to explore the proven process of turning your idea into a viable business, check us out at Precursor.com. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time.
This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.